Eight-month-old Indy Gregory has just died after being forced off of life support by the UK government. Also, life is apparently a losing issue, as we saw in Ohio and Kentucky. But I've got thoughts about that. And very important, RFK Jr. has been caught barefooted on a commercial flight. I have many comments, many comments about that one. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Tuesday. Hope everyone's having a great week so far. Um, your girl is on the Hot Mess Express this morning. It was a struggle getting out the door and into the studio. And yet I'm here. I'm here. I'm sliding in to tell you about all the craziness that's going on. But I did want to follow up on um, a story that I put on Uh, that I put on Instagram the other day that is relevant to me being on the Hot Mess Express. And maybe some of you are feeling the same way. By the time you're listening to this, it's the afternoon or maybe it's the next day and you're still riding on the Hot Mess Express. Uh, That's okay. I want to encourage you not to be discouraged by the influencers that you follow on social media and to not let it get to you. Something that I've noticed, I don't know why the algorithm on uh, Instagram feeds me these people because they are so not like me. But the, you know, the mom influencers that show their morning routine, you know, waking up at 4.45 or whatever. And like, by the way, they had to wake up before that because they had to set the tripod up. So maybe they were up at 4.38. Then they got back in bed. It's so funny. But anyway, so it's fine though. They, you know, they wake up at 4.45 and they do all this stuff before the day even starts, before their kids get up. They have already lived like seven lives. And, you know, I watch these things because the algorithm gives them to me and I'm just like impressed. I'm like, wow, that is awesome that you do all that. I wish that I were that kind of person. I'm not that kind of person. You know, I'm organized in my own way. It's not like I'm sleeping in or anything, but I'm certainly not waking up that early and there's a lot that I do not do that early in the morning. But the thing is, is that I go to the comments of those um, of those posts and all of the comments are so mean. They're so hateful. They are people who are like, why are you posting this? Uh, now I feel so bad about myself. Are you saying because you wake up at 445 that those of us who wake up at 730 are evil? Are bad moms are lazy? You're making me feel lazy. What about the mom who cannot wake up before 745? You're making her feel like an awful person. Like people cannot cannot on social media, it seems, consume content without centering said content on themselves, without seeing content that is different than their lives or, you know, is maybe better in some ways as a personal attack on them. That's how they take it. And I just want to encourage you, if you are that kind of person We got to get a grip. We got to take a chill pill. And you probably need to get off social media. If social media has that power over you to steal your joy, 
and to make you feel ashamed and like a terrible person and a terrible mom just because someone wakes up earlier than you, then you shouldn't be on social media. Because you see, I scroll through that and maybe I can make you feel better. I scroll through that and I'm like, wow, that is not me at all. That lady wakes up two hours before I do. That is not my life, but good for them. And I don't really follow those people that much. I don't really follow a lot of like the homemaking accounts, but it's not because they make me feel bad. It's not because I don't think that what they do is great. It just makes me personally tired. It makes me tired to watch someone make something from scratch. That makes, I feel weary watching that. But for some of you, for some people, you know, you like that and I'm proud of that person for doing that, but it's okay if you're not like that. Like we, you can join my club, which seems to be in the minority uh, for, you know, our demographic of people who are probably never going to make sourdough bread. Like we're just probably not. I'm probably never going to make sourdough starter. I don't even really understand what's going on when I see people talking about that on social media. I'm probably just going to stick with the store-bought bread. So if that's you, it's okay. Like you can, we can just be that kind of mom. It, it doesn't mean that you are not a natural lady. It doesn't mean that you're not a good mom. It doesn't mean that you're not a hard worker or anything. So anyway, just accept the kind of mother that you are. Do the next right thing. Do the best that you can. And I just encourage you, if you cannot follow people on social media without making it about yourself or seeing it as an attack on you or like shamefully comparing yourself to what they tell you that they're doing, you don't even know if they're really doing it. But if you cannot do that, then don't allow social media to steal your joy. Um, I don't know what made me think of that. I think it was just the other night when the algorithm was showing me all these things. I was looking at the comments. I was like, oh my gosh, this lady is getting so much hate just for saying that she wakes up uh, wakes up early. Just join me on Relatable on the Hot Mess Express. We're doing the absolute best that we can. All right. Happy Tuesday. I just wanted to start out with that. Uh, okay. Before we get into what we're actually talking about today, which is a great shift in tone, something from something lighthearted to something uh, very sad, but important that we really need to talk about. Uh, let me take a, take a break and take a breather so we can kind of reset. And I'll tell you about our first sponsor for the day. It's a new sponsor. It's called We Heart Nutrition. I'm super excited about this because this company company sent me uh, their supplements. They've got prenatal vitamins. They've got postnatal vitamins. They've got all the different kinds of supplements that you want. And they come in these glass bottles, which I was I was really impressed by this because even a lot of like the natural supplement companies, they still put their stuff in uh, plastic containers because it's, you know, it's more cost effective to do that. But you can tell just the moment that you get this just from the packaging that they really care about the quality and that this is high quality stuff. They're a patriotic family-owned pro-life vitamin company. The owners, Jacob and Kristen, have four kids. They saw a big hole in the vitamin industry for a company that not only uses all wholesome ingredients, but also has wholesome values. And that's absolutely true. A major multivitamin companies are owned by corporations that donate directly to Planned Parenthood, like Ollie, Smarty Pants. They're owned by Unilever, uh, One A Day, owned by Bayer, Centrum and Emergency. They're owned by Pfizer. And so we're kind of unknowingly, if you're buying these products, giving money to companies that are then donating to organizations that we don't believe in. But 10% of every sale uh, from We Heart Nutrition is given back to pregnancy care centers. Right now, they're raising $10,000 for a pregnancy center 
in Texas. And so when you are buying from We Heart Nutrition, you're getting really, really good, high quality ingredients, a high quality supplement. And you are also giving to pro-life pregnancy centers that are saving lives. So it's just a win all around. And guys, I'll just say like I've been using the same prenatal vitamin for the past five or so five plus years. And I am now taking We Heart Nutrition supplements because um, I just really appreciate not only their values, but also all the ingredients that they put in their put in their vitamins. So um, try them out. Uh, you can go to weheartnutrition.com. Use promo code Allie for 20% off. They also offer 14-day no questions asked return policy. So if it's just not your thing for some reason, you don't like it, doesn't work for you, 14-day no questions asked return policy. Go to weheartnutrition.com. Use code Allie for 20% off. Weheartnutrition.com. Code Allie. Okay, so I want to talk about this awful awful, awful story out of the UK. And unfortunately, this is not the first story like this about baby Indy. And uh, in these next couple stories that we're talking about, I'm probably going to bring in uh, Brie to just get her thoughts on it because we were talking about this before the camera started rolling. A lot of you have probably seen her story on social media or maybe you've just seen snippets of it absolute nightmare. If you're a mom, or even if you're not a mom, you can imagine how painful uh, this must be for baby Indy's parents. So uh, baby Indy was an eight-month-old. She died Monday morning, so yesterday morning, after British health officials mandated that her life support be withdrawn despite offers from the Vatican Hospital and Italy uh, PM Giorgia Maloney to enter So she was born February 24th to Dean Gregory and Claire Staniforth in the UK. Uh, She was diagnosed with a rare genetic condition known as mitochondrial disease. And uh, due to this terminal illness, she became the focus of an intense legal battle between her parents and doctors who claimed she was suffering and should be allowed to die peacefully. Um, So the doctor said, look, she's in a lot of pain. There's really nothing that we can do for her. And so uh, she she just has to die. Uh, the doctors had pressured uh, her parents to have an abortion um, until the moment of birth. This is what the parents claimed because they knew that uh, she had this uh Uh, degenerative disease or this uncurable, it seemed to them, a disease. And they didn't. They chose life and she was born and um, they wanted to take her elsewhere. They didn't want to take her off life support. They wanted to see if there was another hospital that they could take her to um, so that she could get the help that she needed. And it is unimaginable to me that they were placed in this position that they basically were forced by the UK government to remain in a hospital that refused to treat her or who said, you know what, we're just not going to be able to keep her alive anymore. So on September 7th, the hospital staff requested to withhold some medical treatments like breathing assistance, oxygen therapy, uh, tube CPR due to their invasive nature and the severity of her condition. Uh, Indy's parents disagreed with the doctors, continued to fight for her to remain on life support, hoping that experimental treatment would extend her life. On September 26th, the doctors changed their request from withholding some medical treatments to removing critical care, saying that it would be kinder to let Indy die. Well, of course, her parents, all of you know the love that you have for your child. You would do anything, anything to take their pain away, anything to put yourself in their place. It is, it is 
unexplicable, inexplicable pain to see your child in pain. You would do anything to bear their burdens. It is far more painful to watch your child in pain than it is to endure pain yourself. So, of course, um, her parents said, no, you know, we don't want to hold these uh, medical treatments or remove critical care. We want to do everything that she can to stay alive. And look, if you hospital are not willing to do it, if these doctors are not willing to do it, let us go. Just let us go somewhere else. Let us go somewhere else and allow us to seek uh, to seek treatment. So the hospital asked the high court if they could remove Indy's breathing tube uh, despite the parents disagreeing. So they got into obviously uh, a disagreement, a back and forth, the parents in the hospital. So it was moved into the legal realm. And then on October 13th, Justice Robert uh, Peel ruled that doctors could lawfully withdraw invasive treatment, saying with a heavy heart, I've come to the conclusion that the burdens of invasive treatment outweigh the benefits. I mean, how absolutely awful that this is being decided in this way. And then on October 23rd, Indy's parents lost an appeal challenging uh, their earlier ruling. On October 30th, Italy offered hope for Indy. The Bambino Gesù Pediatric Hospital in Rome agreed to accept Indy for treatment fully funded by the Italian government. The Italian government tried to intervene, solicited permission for her to be cared for by the Vatican at Bambino Gesù Children's Hospital. Uh, Italian Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney wrote on social media, they say there isn't much hope for little Indy, but until the very end, I'll do what I can to defend her life and to defend the right of her mama and papa to do all they can for her. Um, And let me pause there. I do have a question. Brie, I don't know if you know the answer to this. Do we know why Italy was... uh, was willing to help in this way, was willing to kind of go out of their way to extend this kind of care for her? I do know, I, I don't know the answer to that directly, but I do know that they've done this before. In other stories of this happening in the UK and across Europe, Italy has been the one that has offered full citizenship to a baby or a child so they can come and get treatment there. Um, I think it's, this was specifically the Vatican, so I think it, it's Catholic. Um, and I think just pro-life groups there maybe advocate for it and yeah, and try to get yeah people treated there. Yeah, that makes sense. If there is like a specific answer that you guys know out there, feel free to to comment below. I didn't know if there was some kind of connection that the parents had. But on November 2nd, uh, Justice Peel again ruled against Indy's parents and denied her transfer to Rome, saying he was satisfied that the move would not be in the baby's best interest. How evil that this judge gets to decide that. Like, what difference does it make to the UK? What difference is if, she, if she's going to die anyway, and that is what the doctors in the UK decided if she's going to die anyway, what difference does it make if she dies there in the hospital or if she dies on her way to Rome or if she dies in Italy? What difference does it make? The parents are the one who have her, are the ones who have her best interest at heart. They're the ones that have known her since she was in the womb. They're the ones who held her as she took her first breaths. They're the ones who love her more than anything, who would die for her, who would give anything for her to be whole and healed again. Why is it not uh, the parent's decision to decide what is in the best interest of their child? And again, what business is it of the U.S. government if baby Indy died in the hospital versus on her way to Rome to get some kind of treatment? It doesn't make sense to me, except for this is what state-funded healthcare is. This is what universal healthcare looks like. The state 
owns you. They decide whether you live or die. And so all of this talk about a universal health care being the compassionate option, this is what it looks like. It looks like parents being prohibited from seeking treatment for their child who is about to die. It's evil. It's evil. Uh, November 7th, and one final legal defeat, Justice Peel denied Indy's parents' request for the option of her dying at her family home. So you're not even allowed to do that. Not even allowed to do that. The parents wanted their child's treatment to be withdrawn at her home. So they said, okay, you know what? You're forcing our child to die, basically. Possibly. Now, you could argue that she was going to die anyway, but you're uh, forcing us to give up on any treatments whatsoever. We at least want her to die. If you're forcing us to do that, we at least want her to die with us in the comfort of her home. Uh, But Justice Peel said, I consider it essential that Indy should continue to have clinical treatment of the highest quality carried out in a safe and sustainable setting. What does that even mean? Safe and sustainable setting. How is, that the, how is that the hospital, the very hospital that is denying her critical care? That will not be available at home. The family appealed this decision, but the appeal was denied. Baby Indy was mandated to be removed from life support in the hospital. Indy's father, Dean Gregory, said, Claire and I are again disgusted by another one-sided decision from the judges and the trust. The whole world is watching and is shocked at how we have been treated. The father added, Claire and I have always wanted to do what is in Indy's best interest. She has human rights, and we wanted her to have the best treatment possible. If the UK did not want to fund it, why can she not go to Italy and receive treatment and care, which the amazing Italian prime minister and government has offered? Uh, So she was taken off life support. She was forced to be taken off life support. She died at 1.45 a.m. on Monday, November 13th. It's just, gosh, it brings me to tears. This is what her father said. My wife, Claire, and I are angry, heartbroken, and ashamed. The NHS and the courts not only took away her chance to live a longer life, but they also took away Andy's dignity to pass away in the family home where she belonged. They managed to take Andy's body and dignity, but they will never be able to take her soul. They tried to get rid of Indy without anybody knowing, but we made sure she would be remembered forever. I knew she was special from the day she was born Claire held her for her final breath. Can you imagine just not just the pain and the sorrow and the suffering of this, but the absolute injustice of this, that possibly this was an avoidable outcome? I mean, at least, at the least that you can do is grant parents the assurance that they did absolutely everything possible to save their child. And if death is inevitable, then okay, that's a conclusion that is tragic, but they would be able to accept that if at least they knew that they did everything that they possibly could to save their child. But this is universal health care. When the state owns your health care, they decide who lives and who dies. And poor little Indy didn't have a voice and she didn't have a choice. All this talk about consent just goes out the window when it comes to universal health care. Their poor parents, her poor parents absolutely felt helpless, like no one cared about them. And I thought that this was really interesting, uh, what her dad said. So uh, he said this to an Italian newspaper. He said, I'm not religious and I'm not baptized, but when I was in court, I felt like I had been dragged to hell. I thought if hell exists, then heaven must also exist. The experience in court fighting for Indy's life moved him to have her baptized. I also read that he 
felt he felt the pull of hell. It's like he felt the pull of Satan when he was in court. He just felt this oppressive, evil presence there. And that's what led him to start thinking, okay, if evil exists, if evil is real, and he saw so much that it was, if darkness is real and he felt it in that court, then good must also be real. Then heaven must also be real. If Satan is real, then God must also be real. So that's what led her to make this decision for baptism. Now, I'm not someone who practices infant baptism, and we can, you know, talk about his theology, but look, this is someone who wasn't religious, who realized by looking in the face of evil, by experiencing the oppressive darkness of hell himself, that he recognized that there's another side to this, that heaven exists as well. And so, gosh, we should be praying for the hearts and the minds and the souls of these parents who have experienced this injustice and this tragedy. And she's not, she's not the first baby to exist or to, uh, to experience this. Over the years, we've seen, seen several children in the UK be subjected to uh, this kind of treatment. You don't have rights. You don't have rights when the government decides who lives and who dies through universal health care. Uh, there's Alfie Evans. You probably remember his story from several years ago. Um, equally, equally sad, Archie Battersby, a few others as well. Um, and so, gosh, I'm just so saddened by this. I'm so saddened by this tragedy, so saddened by this injustice. As a mom of three myself, I just, I can't even imagine. I cannot imagine being faced with something like this. I think that I would lose my mind. I, I really do. I think I would lose my mind and I would be screaming at the judge. I would be screaming at the doctors. I just can't imagine being told that you have no right to take your child somewhere to seek treatment that could possibly heal them or alleviate their pain. So the state not only decides who lives and who dies, but they own your children in a system like this. They own your children. This judge, who probably doesn't even know this child's birthday, doesn't know what this... um what this child's personality is like, what she likes, what she dislikes, has never shed a tear over this case, probably got to end this child's life and decide where she was going to die in the most impersonal and the most unsympathetic, unempathetic way possible. This person who has no personal connection to this child whatsoever says, no, the two people who love this child the most, they get no choice and no voice in this matter. That is evil. That is evil. Satan is rejoicing over the conclusion of this decision. Gosh, the only thing that comforts me in all of this is that God will avenge wickedness. He will avenge wickedness once and for all. People who are involved in things like this that don't allow mercy to be extended to the most vulnerable people, the most marginalized people in our society, which is always children, they will, unless they repent endure the wrath of him who cares for the vulnerable and fights on their behalf. Um, all right, we're going to turn to another uh, injustice, and that is abortion and how abortion and the quote-unquote issue of abortion, if you will, has affected our elections recently. And I'll just give you my uh, my take on it. Let me pause. Let me tell you about our next sponsor for the day. And that is Operation Christmas Child. So if you want to do something... Um, 
to bring the love of Christ to, again, children, the most marginalized and vulnerable group in our world. If you want to show them love in uh, in a world that continually disregards their value and their dignity, then one really fun and easy way that you can do that is to send them a box of gifts through Operation Christmas Child that is run by Samaritan's Purse. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can see this box. This is what the Samaritan's Purse box looks like. And you can select the age group of child and the gender of child that you want to send this box to. And you fill it with non-perishable items, items that they need, but also items that they think are fun. So this one would be for a little girl probably between the ages of four and nine. You've got a toothbrush, a comb, and a little bow. Um, you've got some crayons and some stickers in there, a little wash rag, lots of really cute stuff for her. And then you drop it off at a drop-off location. And you can find that by going to samaritanspurse.org OCC. And you'll see the drop-off location. You can drop off your shoe box. You don't have to have a fancy plastic box like this. You can get your own clear plastic box or you can just use a shoe box, drop it off there, and they'll take it uh, where they need to take it. And it'll be delivered to children, to a child around the world um, sometime in the next year. And, uh, you can also typically, uh, churches participate in this. So your church might be participating in this as well. In, in this as well. Also, uh, you can fill a box online so you don't actually have to physically go out and get the items. If you go to samaritanspurse.occ.org slash OCC, then, uh, you can fill out a box there and they will send it for you. So go to samaritanspurse.org slash OCC. Collection week is this week. So you got to get your box in this week. National collection week is this week. So samaritanspurse.org slash OCC. Okay, let's talk about abortion elections. So you guys know probably at this point what happened in Ohio and Kentucky last week. Unfortunately, life lost. Life lost in uh, these elections in Ohio and Kentucky. So let me tell you about Ohio first. A lot of you already know this because this happened um, last week. And so you were already in the know and what was happening in these elections. But some of you, you don't live in these states and you weren't paying attention at the time. So let me give you a little bit about what issue one was slash is in Ohio. So voters in Ohio approved issue one, which is a new state constitutional amendment that changes state law on abortion, which is obviously a victory for quote unquote abortion rights supporters. The vote was 56.62% yes, 43.38% no. So this is the law that will be added to the Ohio state constitution and become law in December. So create legal protections for any person or entity that assists a person with re receiving reproductive medical treatment, including but not limited to abortion. Prohibit the state from directly or indirectly burdening, penalizing, or prohibiting abortion before an unborn child is determined to be viable. So any point before 24 weeks. Um about uh, unless the state demonstrates that it is using the least restrictive means grant a pregnant woman's um, treating physician the authorities to determine on a case-by-case -case basis whether an unborn child is viable so okay so i said 24 weeks then they can restrict it after 24 weeks but they're saying that 
the doctor gets to determine if uh, pregnancy is viable, that they have the full authority to do that on a case-by-case basis. So typically, we think of viability as 24 weeks. That's when the baby in the womb has a really good chance of being able to survive outside the womb. Of course, that baby has been a human since the point of conception. Don't listen to any unserious person who says that that child is not a child before 24 weeks. That's stupid. I've had a debate on here with someone about that, and they just completely triple over themselves when they try to explain what the child inside the womb is other than a human being. It's just absolutely crazy. But we typically say 24 weeks, but babies have survived outside the womb as early as 19 weeks. I think that, that that's the earliest point in gestation where a baby has been born prematurely and then helped a lot by the hospital, but um, has been able to uh, survive after that. But 24 weeks, the baby has about 80% chance of surviving outside the womb. That's typically seen as the week of viability. However, this is saying that a doctor gets to determine that on a case-by-case basis. So if a pro-abortion doctor doctor decides that a woman at 30 weeks, um, that their baby isn't viable. Again, that can be kind of a subjective term. And by the way, the diagnoses that are very often given to unborn children that the doctor says means that they won't survive outside of the womb, um, are not, they're not always correct. They're not always accurate. There are lots of things that doctors think are going on inside the womb with the baby that are not actually determinative of uh, the baby's likelihood to survive. And babies defy the odds. Babies defy the odds um, all the time. So they're saying that this doctor, though, that they get to decide on a case-by-case basis if a baby is viable. So it's not really 24 weeks um, that abortion access is cut off according to this law. It could be after that. And just Uh, Again, just to remind you, like a baby at this point is able to feel pain. The mother has been feeling kicks uh, for several weeks here. Don't tell me, by the way, that only that abortion only happens after this point. If it's absolutely necessary that no one wants an abortion after this point. Look, abortion is is never necessary. It's never necessary uh, when the baby is viable. That's never necessary. you can deliver the baby if the child is in danger, if the mother's in danger. It is not necessary to kill the child. At any point, it's not necessary to kill the child. Early delivery may be necessary, and you do everything you can to protect the life and to preserve the life of the mother and child. But killing the child, if you have to take the baby out anyway, is never necessary. So we are talking about elective abortions. Like we are talking about abortions for any reason. When this child is fully able to live outside the womb, that's what this Ohio law says is legal and must be protected. Always allow an unborn child, the law says, to be aborted at any stage of pregnancy, regardless of viability, if in the treating physician's determination, the abortion is necessary to protect the pregnant woman's life or health. So we've talked about this phrase, life or health, before. And we see this come up in every liberal abortion law. Um, Going back to uh, the New York law that we talked about, I think that was passed at the beginning of 2019. That was an extremely liberal law that we now see in Illinois and California and several other liberal states as well that allows abortion for any reason up until the point of birth by using this phrase, if the doctor decides that 
it is necessary to protect the woman's life or health. Well, what does life or health mean? According to the Supreme Court case Doe v. Bolton, the health of the mother includes mental health, includes emotional health, includes age, includes familial situation. All of these things are very subjective. So you can read into that and read for any reason. So if a physician decides, oh yeah, you're pregnant, you're 38 weeks pregnant, and uh, you aren't doing well, you're emotionally unstable, your boyfriend left you, whatever it is, you can have an abortion. And the state in Ohio, the government in Ohio can do absolutely nothing about that. And if you say, well, that never happens, then why does it need to be legal? If that never happens, then why does it have to be a right? Why does it have to be written into law? It does happen, by the way, According to the Guttmacher Institute's own numbers, that's the research arm of arm of Planned Parenthood, at least 10,000 abortions happen every year uh, after the age of viability, after 24 weeks, late-term abortions. Don't tell me that never happens. And again, don't tell me it happens only when it's necessary. It's never necessary to kill a child. It's never necessary. Again, early delivery might be necessary. It's not necessary to kill the child before you deliver them. That doesn't help anyone's health. And of course, as we know, that's murder. So Ohio just enshrined into law the, the right to kill a baby up until the point of birth for virtually any reason. And I had someone come at me on Twitter and say, oh, you don't understand this issue. You don't understand this issue at all. If you think that someone that uh, anyone is saying that you should be able to abort your child for the heck of it until until birth, you don't really understand. No, you don't understand. You naive little ignorant person. You don't understand. You don't understand. That is exactly what this law is. That's exactly what the abortion laws on the books that are being pushed say. That for essentially any reason, you can murder a child just because they're in the womb. And of course, as we heard from the Virginia governor a few years ago, that even if a child survives an abortion, the parents don't want the baby. You make the baby comfortable, put them off to the side as the parents and the doctor decide what to do. Wow. Wow. That's the abortion movement today. And it's, I mean, it's even more gruesome than that. We've talked about what some of these abortionists do to women and to children, how they crush their skulls and how they decapitate these children inside the womb, tearing them apart limb from limb. Like, you know what even just a second trimester abortion is, right? As we've talked about several times, I think it's so important to explain this. So, and some of you get mad when I don't give a trigger warning, consider this your trigger warning. But I think like if a baby can endure the abortion, we can stand to hear about it. The, uh, there is a long needle that the abortionist takes filled with uh, the same poisonous chemical combination that is uh, given in lethal injections to murderers on death row. A needle of this poisonous chemical combination is inserted into the woman's abdomen, goes straight into the heart of the baby, as the doctor's looking on the ultrasound to make sure they get straight into the baby's heart. Now, the baby at this point, if you have to do this uh, for an abortion, that baby at this point is wiggling and moving. And it might be difficult for the doctor to actually insert the needle right into the heart of the child. But that's the goal. Looking at the ultrasound, inserting this poisonous chemical combination into the baby's heart. They insert it into the baby's heart as. The baby can feel pain. 
is writhing in pain, is wiggling, and then that chemical combination causes the baby's heart to stop beating. So they die from cardiac arrest in the womb, they stop moving, and then the baby is delivered dead. So that's second trimester abortion. Um, all abortion is brutal. All abortion is brutal, whether it's a D&E, whether it's a DNX, whether it's uh, the baby is being poisoned through the abortion pill in the first trimester, it's all brutal. It's all murder. It's never justified. It's never necessary. Um, again, if the mother's life is at risk, even if it's early on, you do everything that you can to save both of them, to preserve both of them. Early delivery might be necessary, which might end in the death of the child, which is tragic, but we don't purposely kill the child. We don't dismember the child. We don't poison the child. But that's just, that's what uh, Ohio just said is legal through all stages of pregnancy, through 40 weeks gestation, as long as the mental and emotional health of the mother, according to the physician, is negatively impacted. And from what I've heard from people in Ohio is that there were Christians, their friends, people at their church who voted yes on this issue. Why? I, I think a few reasons. Uh, one, one reason is that they're not, some of them are not really Christians. Uh, they don't love God's word. They don't love God's image bearers. Um, they're liberal. They're taken by progressive propaganda, and they think that being pro-choice is um, empathetic. And so they're just not believers. That's, that's, one, that's one possibility. They're not filled with the Holy Spirit. So they're just not convicted of that at all. Um, they could be baby Christians. So they just haven't been sanctified of their evil inclination to vote for the murder of children. That's one option. Uh, two, I, I mean, two or three, whichever, I'm kind of like uh, putting all of these together. But another option, and I don't say this, like I'm not trying to be rude. I think that this... It's just an accurate description of some people. Um, they could also just be stupid. It's a possibility, right? Like they could just be dumb, like lack intelligence and the ability to critical, critically think. And so they hear the propaganda by Planned Parenthood and some of the Democratic politicians and some liberal people in the media, and they just nod their head and they have got nothing going on in there, really. It's just a bunch of like white noise. Um, it, it could be that. It could just be that they cannot critically think they don't have the capacity to do it. I think that's a small percentage of people, to be honest. I don't think very many people are truly that stupid, but it's possible. And then I think that there's like another contingency or there's another group of people who, and this is, this is really evil, who they do know better. They do know better. Um, and they know what abortion is. And they wouldn't personally do it them themselves, but they don't want to think about it too hard because being pro-life is unpopular and it's controversial and uh, it would get them in trouble at their job or with their friends or with a family member. And so they don't want to think too hard about the reality of the abortion procedure. And they just think that they're covering themselves by saying, well, I wouldn't personally have an abortion but I will vote for others to be able to, um, which is a wicked, wicked, and also stupid uh, position to take. It's just a completely, it's not a feasible, it's not a coherent position uh, to take 
either. I mean, as other people have pointed out, it's like saying, well, you personally won't own slaves, but you don't take issue with other people doing it. You think that people should at least have access to slavery, right? Like people should at least have access to indentured servitude, even if you wouldn't personally partake in it. You're not going to oppose other people doing it. Well, that just means that you don't see those slaves or in our uh, conversation here, the babies inside the womb as true image bearers of God, which is an unbiblical position and a logical position. So that's what happened in Ohio. And I know a lot of you were really sad about that. I'm super sad about that. Joe Biden was excited about it. President Obama was excited about it. They gave their own uh, commentary about it. In Kentucky, pro-choice Democrat Governor Andy Bashir won a second term. Daniel Cameron, who I really liked, uh, he lost, uh, which was really sad. And um, so, again, that is a red state, what people think of as a red state. It's probably purple now, just like Ohio. Um, that is them saying, you know, we are we're not strong enough on life to put people in office and to vote against issues uh, that uh, align with our position on life, which is extremely sad. Now, the reaction that you have is what I want to react to and respond to from a lot of conservative commentators saying that we need to compromise, the right needs to compromise on abortion or else Republicans are going to lose elections. And that that is why Republicans lose elections. Uh, because we're too extremist on abortion. Um, let me respond to that in a second, but I'll pause and tell you about our next sponsor for the day, and that is Relief Band. So if you're dealing with nausea, like I dealt with a lot of first trimester nausea when I was pregnant this last time, it was real, real rough. And if you're like me, you don't like to take a bunch of, you know, pharmaceuticals or uh, a lot of medicine, especially when you're pregnant, uh, to alleviate that nausea, you should definitely check out Relief Band. So Relief Band, it's uh, not a drug. It doesn't have uh, any, it, there's, there's no medication that you're taking along with this. It's just a band that you put on your wrist. It stimulates a nerve in your wrist that then communicates to your brain to tell your stomach to stop getting nauseous. And it's not just for, you know, pregnancy nausea if you are going through chemotherapy or if you get nausea from anxiety or travel sickness, motion sickness, things like that. This can be a total game changer. Like if you've been avoiding things in your life like road trips or uh, flying or things like that because you typically get nauseous with those things, like this can really help you. You can go back to doing the things that you love to do um, or you can go back to chasing your toddlers around if you're dealing with that first trimester nausea just by getting relief band. And again, it's an all natural way to make sure that you are not having to uh, bend your life to your nausea. Uh, go to reliefband.com. That's R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com. Use code Allie for 20% off plus free shipping. Reliefband.com. Use code Allie for 20% off plus free shipping. They've got an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating, over 100,000 satisfied customers. So try it out. Reliefband.com, code Allie. All right. Um, so there were quite a few, quite a few conservatives saying that pro-lifers are to blame for Republicans losing. And Coulter said pro-lifers are going to wipe out the Republican Party. Um, 
Mike Kernovich said, if you want to be pro-life, no exceptions, good for you. Lose every election. Have no political power. Um, and then there were uh, other people on Twitter who were saying the same thing, that, look, this is just an extremist position. And as long as you take that, there are going to be people, uh, Democrats and even moderates, who react to your extremist position on abortion uh, by, you know, voting Democrats in, as crazy as Democrats are. I don't understand why the side that is against murder has to be the side to compromise. Like I just read you issue one from Ohio, very similar to the laws in New York, Illinois, California, Colorado, Washington, that virtually allow abortion through all nine months for any reason, celebrated, no apologies. Uh, They are not interested in compromise. They're not interested in acquiescence. They're not interested in ceding any ground. Like, why do we have to be the ones to compromise? They are the extremists. Abortion is extreme. Abortion is extreme. Abortion dismembers a human being. Abortion poisons a child. Abortion, allowing abortion, wanting abortion at any point in pregnancy is extreme. Being against that is the most sane and common sense and compassionate and humane position to take. Why do I have to be the one to compromise? Am I going to win over the barbarians by compromising? No, these people would fight just as hard against a 25-week ban as they would against a six-week ban. And so what do I win by compromising? We lose more baby lives. I don't believe that we would win any more elections by saying, okay, we're okay with abortion through 20 weeks. Like, I, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Planned Parenthood and the abortion lobby would have just as much money they would be pushing just as many lies, just as much propaganda, would be fighting just as hard to defeat any pro-life measure if we decided, if the pro-life side decided to compromise and equivocate and give them a little ground. Like, I just don't believe that we would be winning more elections if we said, okay, just a little baby murder is fine. Just a little baby murder, maybe just through halfway through the pregnancy. I'm sorry, these people are bloodthirsty. These people love abortion. They love death. I'm not saying that everyone who considers themselves pro-choice is like that. Maybe some people consider themselves reluctantly pro-choice. I'm talking about the abortion lobby, the Democrat politicians, people at Shout Your Abortion, NARAL, Planned Parenthood. These people are absolutely bloodthirsty, and they want the blood of children through all nine months of pregnancy. No compromise, no apologies. That's not an exaggeration, okay? That's not hyperbole. That's not ad hominem. That is what it is. That's what these laws say. Um, so I, I, I am not going to take the position of compromise. Even if it were true, which I don't think it is, even if it were true that if Republicans decided that they have to be the ones to compromise on abortion, that they would all of a sudden win all of these elections, which, by the way, President Trump believes that too. He criticized Ron DeSantis for banning abortion after a heartbeat is detected in Florida. Um, even if that were true, I wouldn't compromise on it. Even if it were true that Republicans win all, all the elections, if we would just let go of this little issue of murdering children inside the womb, I wouldn't be able to compromise on it. That's not moral. 
That's not right. And see, that is, I, I do actually agree in a sense, like in general, that is why the right loses. Because there are things that we're not willing to do. There are places that we are not willing to go uh, to win. Like there are lies that we are not willing to tell, things that we are not willing to say because we have moral limits. We have limiting principles that say even if, if someone said, okay, Republicans will win all elections here on out if they just allow abortion through 20 weeks or whatever it is. Uh, there are too many of us who simply wouldn't do that. We wouldn't go for it. It wouldn't be worth it because uh, I'm against abortion, not because I'm a Republican, but because I'm a Christian. And so while, of course, I want the better candidate to win, and I think that is almost in every case, if not every case, Republicans, I'm not willing to equivocate on that. I'm not willing to give that up. There is nothing on the left that they are not willing uh, that they're not willing to do. Like, they will do absolutely anything, tell any lie in order to win because their goal is power. Our goal is principle. And so those, I, I mean, as I've heard, I think it's Aaron McIntyre often say, the side that uh, wants to win will always beat the side who wants to be left alone. Um, and that's kind of, and I think that that is true of Republicans and Democrats. That's kind of speaking to a different issue is that like, we just want freedom and we just want to be left alone and they just want to win. But that's also true when you're looking at like the limiting principles of the right versus the completely, uh, the complete lack of limitation of the left when it comes to morality and principles. Their principle is power. Their goal is power. They want to win. Like they don't have any qualms with telling you a lie about abortion. They don't have any qualms with propaganda. They're willing to win at whatever cost. And the right's just not willing to do that. I'm okay with that ultimately because I'm seeing beyond our current political moment and winning elections. I am looking at the bigger eternal picture and I know that I am held responsible for for not the whether or not we win elections or whether or not the right ultimately prevails. There is a much bigger non-political narrative going on um, that I care much more about. Um, and so I'm just not willing to go there, even if it's true. Again, I don't believe it is. I believe it's, um, I believe that the right and the pro-life movement has less money. We're less united. We have less of a cohesive message. We have a lot more infighting. Um, we need more funding, more money, a more cohesive message, a more united front. And we just don't have that right now. That's what I think it is. That's what I think it is. I think that that is why we lose. I also think, as I've said before, that it's much easier to demolish than it is to build. And the right is seeking to build. And the left is seeking to destroy. They just want to tear down everything that is good, right, and true. They want to tear down systems and institutions. They have no idea what they're going to replace them with, but they're just destroying. It's much easier to do that. 
you can use all different kinds of tools to tear down a building. But if you're building a building, everyone has to agree on the materials that you're going to use. Everyone has to agree on the foundation that you're going to lay. You have to agree on the methods and the tools that you are going to use and what this building is going to look like. That's what the right is trying to do. That's much more difficult when you have people who disagree. On the left, you can disagree and you can still effectively bulldoze something, you know? And so it's more difficult for the right to win, I think, for that uh, for that purpose as well. Anyway, I just want to say I'm not going to compromise on abortion. It's too important. You're talking about murdering children. That's not something I want to compromise on. Uh, all right. I think we only have time for one more thing. Uh, a very, a very important subject that I want to make sure that I do not miss today that I've already talked about on Instagram briefly. Let me tell you about our last sponsor for the day. That's my Patriot Supply. I think we all know we don't know what the future holds. We don't know when things, if things are really going to hit the fan. We're about to go into an election year. Remember the last election year, everything that happened before that and how COVID was used to completely uh, change the rules of the game? Well, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen in 2024, but it's best to be prepared. And one way that you can uh, prepare yourself and protect your family is making sure that you have an emergency food supply. I like my Patriot Supply. They're the country's largest preparedness company. Their best-selling three-month food kit provides delicious breakfast, lunches, and dinners that last up to 25 years. So get their three-month food kit uh, from my Patriot Supply. Go to preparewithally.com to get ready. Order now for fast and free shipping. Preparewithally.com. Preparewithally.com. All right, indeed on another lighthearted note, and that is uh, RFK Jr. RFK Jr., the plane scandal. So I first saw this reported by Blaze TV's Alex Stein, um, and Justin Haskins actually is the one who took the photograph. We have had him on the podcast several times to talk about the Great Reset, um, and he is an expert in a lot of our uh, favorite things that we like to talk about. So we've had Justin on several times. He took the photo, but Alex Stein reported it on uh, his show. So I do know, I do know that this is a genuine story. This is a genuine picture. So he was on a flight on November 2nd, an American Airlines flight on November 2nd from Portland to Dallas. And here he is, RFK Jr., barefoot on the plane. Now, if you guys know anything about me, you guys know I'm very serious about my air travel rules. There are several rules we don't have time to get into right now, but one of my biggest uh, is that you have to wear socks and shoes when you travel. You must. And so I just want to read you my official statement. This is from the Department of uh, the Air Travel Czar, which is me. Biden didn't appoint me. I appointed myself. That's what czars do. So I am... Uh, the head of the Department of Air Travel, which includes uh, rules on what you should and should not wear. So here's my statement on this, since many of you guys have been asking. It is posted on Instagram if you would like to share far and wide so everyone knows. So many of you, this is for immediate release, by the way. Uh, many of you may have seen the disturbing photograph of presidential nominee and environmentalist Robert Fitzgerald Kennedy Jr. traipsing down the aisle of a commercial aircraft, uh, A321. EOW operated by American Airlines. We are aware of the situation, have launched a full investigation. Our initial findings show that Mr. Kennedy demonstrated at least a flagrant disregard for the visible crumbs beneath his feet. 
which likely crunched as he walked on them, and profound disrespect for the airport czar's rules, which explicitly prohibit unshoed feet on any commercial aircraft. The fact that Mr. Kennedy does not even have socks on represents a crime heretofore unseen by our department. We appreciate the concern of the public and take your complaint seriously. Depending on the results of our investigation, RFK Jr. may be fined up to 5,768,634 uh, $634.94 dollars and 94 cents and made to watch 106 uh, 186 rather consecutive hours of dr anthony fauci interviews and press conferences in the location of our choosing that location is still to be determined there will be no further comment at this time ali bethsucky airport czar you are welcome for that um rfk please report to our department um which is right here in the studio um, that is how I am going to get RFK Jr. to come on my show, which I have asked him to do several times to no avail, but now he has to. He has to, or he will be fined over $5 million from the Department of Air Travel's Art. House and Habit shared this post. Wow, she has over a million followers, a lot of few followers, so we made it, y'all. I've been waiting for my authority as the airports are to be respected. Every time I go on the airplane, I realize that it's not because I see people with their dogs just out. Yuck. Um, but I feel like since House and Habit shared this, it's legit. I don't know, Brie, what do you think? Is this disqualifying for the presidency? <laughs> I think his campaign is over. Over. Which is what Justin Haskins also said. So we're, huh. I think we're, we're all agreeing about that. Apparently, there were also... Like little crumbs. You mentioned this. Yeah, crumbs. But Justin even said there were crumbs and like debris on the ground there. And he was just walking Traipsing. over it. Yeah. And he had just gone to the lavatory. <laughs> yeah, Mm-mm. it's Mm-mm. truly levels we have not seen. Mm-mm. So. The liquid on the ground in the lavatory and the airplane is not water. No. Or Gatorade. No, and I, I also just want to mention that when... um. Whoever it was sent this to uh, Alex Stein's producer. They had the feet blurred. <laughs> oh, in, my the, gosh. in the photo. I appreciate them. that. Oh, see, I thought that it was because he was walking so fast. <laughs> well, this photo, it is. But the one that they sent him, they were even more blurred. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it was, well, those are supposed to be private on a plane. So yeah, I get true. it. I get that's it. Um, you know, all in good fun. We would still like. RFK Jr. to come on Relatable. So I hope he doesn't have any hard feelings about this. But you do have to wear shoes on my show, on my set. That is a rule. Um, all right. Okay. That's all we've got time for today. We, I was going to ask our resident Swifty to comment on uh, Taylor and Travis. Some of you care about that. Some of you do not. Um, but, you know, something for everyone on this here Relatable show. All right. We will be back here tomorrow. 